We are in Psalm 129 this morning, Psalm 129. And the question in many ways that this psalm addresses is this inner desire, this burden of ours that that I think God has put within us because it is our God and his character and his nature and we are made in his image and this desire to have justice, to have relief, to find that things are made right, or we might even use the word fair. And I was thinking just even recently of how smart my four-year-old and two-year-old are becoming because they are already understanding this, well, what's fair concept? Elizabeth gets something, and of course, as soon as it's in her hand, a cry goes up from our two-year-old Benjamin, where is mine? (laughs) I want the same exact thing. If she's getting it, I should have it. Even within a two-year-old, this idea of fairness, this idea of justice, well, I get to have what she's having. That's what's right, isn't it? That would be justice. And it's this idea of justice, this idea of wanting to see things made right, relief maybe from all that we might be enduring or all that others are enduring in this life. We want things to be made right. And it actually comes to this word that we find in Psalm 129, which is interchanged throughout Scripture, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. And I thought before we look into Psalm 129, it might be good to just talk on this word. But I thought it might be good too, as I received questions, and maybe I didn't clarify so well last week, But a a simple definition of the fear of the Lord. Because this plays into knowing who our God is. This week we're looking at our God being righteous, just. Last week we spoke on the fear of the Lord. And a simple definition that even us leaders talked about this week was an awesome respect. I hope that bare illustration didn't confuse you more than clarify, but it's, it's this idea that we come to the Lord with an awesome respect, that we fear Him for who He is, that at any moment, the snap of His finger, He could come back, He could change all things, He has all power, all knowledge. He also has all justice and all love, all put together. Not one is lacking to the other, not one is less and one greater. It is all in Him, all equal, always there, all the time. And your brain is going, what? (laughs) It astounds us. And as we look this morning at justice and righteousness, that our God is righteous, 
we have this title for the pilgrim, Discipleship for the Long Haul, is many times born out of adversity, born out of endurance, born out of trial. And at least for this morning, that is what this psalmist begins with, the afflictions and the weight and even the oppression and the injustice. That is quite a buzzword in our day and age. Injustice, I cry injustice. Even the world cries out when we see injustice because God has put it within us. To know, even as we've been made in the image of Him, our conscience bears witness. Right from wrong, justice from injustice. We have this desire for righteousness. For all things to be made right. And when I speak of the righteousness of God... For that is sometimes the most confusing. Well, what? Even here in verse 4, it says, The Lord is righteous. When we say he is righteous, is that who he is or is that righteous in what he does? And I would say it's certainly both that in his character, he is consistent in how he acts. I was reading a commentary, and this is what it reads of the righteousness of God. God consistently acts in accord with his own character. God is not defined by the term righteous as much as the term righteous is defined by God. Do you understand that? That he is not defined necessarily by the term righteous, but that righteous is actually defined by our God. He's not measured up by a standard of righteousness. God sets the standard of righteousness. When He comes, when Christ comes again, the fact that His presence will be here is the fact that righteousness is going to be set up, that God is going to do away with everything that is out of His character. Everything that is not God is going to go away. And who He is is going to shine. The Lord is righteous. He is just. And we cry out, Lord, when? How long, O Lord, must I wait to see Your justice? It's found in Him and Him alone. And we're going to look this morning as we think of discipleship, when we think of this journey that we're on, many times is born out of adversity. That for the believer, we are delivered out of that adversity. We are rescued. God becomes our great fortress. And yet for the enemy of God, they are defeated by that same righteousness, by that same justice. Isn't that amazing that when God shows up for those who are his children, there is a different result. 
the same righteousness, but a different result for his child as there is for his enemy. And as always, the question is, are you his child? Have you accepted him as your savior, been adopted into his family? And you know what he promises? That his righteousness has been given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 5. And because it is so key, I want to make sure I don't mess it up. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to be made right. We are going to understand perfect justice one day. And Christ's righteousness will be put upon us. And we will be declared forgiven, sinless, before a holy God. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's look at Psalm 129. At the righteousness of God. And this is broken into two sections for the child of God, it is the deliverance of that one who is in Christ. And for the enemy of God, it is their defeat. It's broken up pretty evenly, actually. From verses 1 through 4, we see God's deliverance. In verses 5 through 8, we see the enemy's defeat. Let's read this together as we read this pilgrim's song. Psalm 129, a song of ascents, verse 1. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Verse 5, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray as we read God's word and as we look at this together. Father, thank you for your justice, your righteousness. Lord, even as we wait upon you, we believe that you will make all things right. You will defeat the enemy. You will deliver your children. And Lord, some of us in this room might be even praying, deliver me now from, and who knows what that could be. But may they look to their God who knows where they're in, the situation they have before them, who knows everything and has everything in control and planned out. And may we as a people trust in our God. 
even as the nation of Israel had to trust. May we trust in the Lord who delivers his children out of all of their troubles, even as we read in Psalm 34. Use your words, Lord, and not my words. Use your holy word, your powerful word, to encourage us, convict us, change us from the inside out, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. But Lord, how long must I wait? (laughs) That must have been the language in verses 1 and 2. It's repeated, great have been the afflictions, says Israel. The language there is of the nation of Israel. They are crying out to God, great are our afflictions, O Lord, how long is this going to happen? Many, great, the same word of, this has continued on for a long time, beginning, as you might remember, with the oppression of Egypt. They got out and went across looking for the promised land. The oppression of the wilderness, because they did not trust in their Lord, they were 40 years wandering And then trying to get into the promised land, there was conquest, travail, troubles, affliction. They then get in and they think, let's set up some rulership. And even as they became a nation and kings ruled over the people of Israel, the plan was that God would rule over those kings. Even as that happened, they started to war with nations. Edomites and Philistines were constantly creating affliction and trouble and turmoil. And you can read through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles of the ups and downs of the blessings that God brought for them following after him and of the judgments and of the nations that came in because they would make other idols and follow after other gods who were not gods. And then the story, of course, kind of climaxes for Israel with the afflictions and oppression of Assyria taking away ten northern tribes and Chaldeans and Babylon And King Nebuchadnezzar attacking the southern nation, Judah. Afflictions at every side. Afflictions through the years. I I was just thinking even of Egypt. 400 years in Egypt. Generation after generation after generation. You're thinking... Not just my kids, my grandkids and my great-grandkids and so on and so forth. Continual affliction. It makes sense now. This psalmist sings, Great have they afflicted me from my youth. And of course, he's thinking back to those days, the beginning afflictions in Egypt. And the Lord even told Moses when he met him in Exodus chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 that I am hearing the cries of my people. 
And I'm going to go and rescue them out of their afflictions. Rescue them from their captivity. This reminds us that we can cry a similar prayer. We must cry a similar prayer of our neediness before the Lord. Great, O Lord, is my captivity. Great, O Lord, are the chains about me because of sin. I cannot rescue myself. I need a rescuer. I need deliverance. Isn't it crazy? The words in there even talk of what we might know pretty familiarly. The plowing of the fields. And it says, even those plows plow on my back. They make long their furrows. You might not even want to try to picture that, but there is language in the Old Testament of this bondage and this pain found in Isaiah chapter 1-6, even the book of Isaiah 51, and I'll read that one. Isaiah 51-23 says this, Bow down, O Israel, that we may pass over. You have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Bow down. It is like those who trample over you and over your back. Even language found in Micah 3.12 of these deep gouges that the enemy makes. And you're just like cringing. The affliction, the long years of captivity. This is the psalmist saying, the pain has been real. The captivity, the enemy has been harsh. And that's the truth in a spiritual sense for all of us. Sin wants to kill and destroy It wants to be like this. The plowers plowed upon my back. They have made long their furrows. It has dug deep. There has been blood. And the Israelites knew much of that. Pain and captivity and trial and enemies and war against them for so long. And yet there are words of this pilgrim. He doesn't stay there. He speaks words of hope, which is where scripture goes when we are in our afflictions. Verse 2, yet they have not prevailed against me. How so? Because verse 4 gives us the reason and the hinge upon which this whole psalm is based upon. The Lord is righteous. And in his righteousness, he comes with justice and he delivers. And you say, well, Lord, I pray you deliver within my lifetime. (laughs) I pray actually that your deliverance would come today. Lord Jesus, return, deliver, redeem, 
fully and finally bring us out. I'm sure all of Israel, I'm sure Christians throughout the centuries have cried out, Lord, deliver me. And this psalmist has seen God's hand of deliverance and he uses this language in verse 4. He has cut the cords of the wicked. It's this same picture of being tied to an oxen with the cords and those oxen are pulling the plow on your back and the afflictions are in pain and Christ has come and cut that plow apart. It no longer works. The enemy's afflictions, their desire to inflict pain has been cut asunder. The cords have been broken. And there's other language in Scripture. The chains have been broken. The captivity is no more. We have been free and are free in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The Lord is righteous. And I was just thinking, Christ is in every word. He is in the Old Testament and the New. And you know how the Lord is righteous? How could the Lord be just? Did he just see the afflictions and say, no more enemy, I'm, I'm just done with it. He could have. He could have just said, I'm doing an end with all of this. But there had to be a price for sin. It had to be paid for. Judgment had to come. And yes, Israel might have experienced some physical affliction, much of it, but it pointed to a more spiritual reality that sin causes affliction and sin causes judgment. And all of us have fallen short of God's glory and we fall within that judgment. And yet, the Lord in His righteousness, in His justice, has taken care of our affliction, of our judgment, of what we deserve. He has torn asunder. He has taken care of the penalty of sin. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. He didn't just say, well, I'm just going to get rid of what the enemy is doing. He actually sent his own son to take care of the injustice and the affliction and the judgment that had to come. Christ took all that in our place. When it says the Lord is righteous, he can be still counted just because he didn't just clean the slate. He abided by his own rules <laughs> that sin had to be paid for, that there had to be a price. And God sent his own son to pay for that price, to provide justice and to take care of our sin he sent Jesus to die on the cross, the one who was most afflicted, 
the one who was most in turmoil and crushed. And yet these words of the psalmist could be said by the son. Those afflictions, they did not prevail. Those cords, we could even picture the cords of the whip that lashed on our Savior's back. Those cords have been broken. The agony that the Son of God went through, the blood that He shed, the stripes on His back have taken care of the justice that was demanded. He paid the price that we needed to pay. He stood in our place. And the wrath of God and God's justice was met in His Son on the cross. And we get to receive the blessing. We receive the deliverance from sin. We, by faith, can receive the forgiveness and be declared righteous as well. This phrase in the middle is our hope that the Lord knows what we are going through. Great might be the afflictions, but they will not prevail. The Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords of the wicked. He has won the victory. And so we pray, Lord, help me to see that victory in my daily trials. Help me to know that you have won the battle in possibly affliction or whatever you might be going through. It will not carry on forever. The Lord will bring us out of that captivity, out of trial, out of affliction, and into, even as the Old Testament short story shows us, the promised land. If we trust in our Lord. Remember Israel at the waters? Looking back at the chariots? Lord, we are stuck. Why have you brought us here? What is your plan? And the Lord, the deliverer, the rescuer, he knew all of that. He put a cloud to frustrate the chariots. That was gracious. But then, miraculously, he parted the waters to give freedom, redemption, and rescue to his people. To get on the other side. He has won the battle for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. You this day, have you put your faith in Christ that your sin, that afflictions will all be one day taken care of finally, but our sin has been taken care of. Our own judgment that we deserve has been taken care of on the cross. Christ stood in our place. These beautiful truths of deliverance. Matthew 16, 18. 
I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Romans 8.37, Romans 8.37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus who loved us. Even 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, the language of the Apostle Paul, who went through so much, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this light of Christ to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul goes on, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Our God is faithful. He will take us through it all. One of the greatest psalms that you might remember is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, for the child of God, he is our deliverer. But the hinge is on verse 5 here. For I pray this morning that none of you fall under this category of being an enemy of God. For it says, may all who hate Zion, and that's pretty much the equivalent of saying, may all who hate God. For Zion was his mountain. He had promised that he would dwell in Zion it would be his mountain. Jerusalem would be his city. So for the psalmist to say that, for you to hate Zion, to hate the city that God loves, is for you to hate God himself. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. It's this idea of when you go into battle prepared to fight, you are defeated. You are routed. You turn backwards and flee because you have lost the battle. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backward. And here is another illustration. You may have seen this. I don't know if it happens here. Well, it does because it's Oregon. Whether it's intentional or not, you see grass growing on the roof. <laughs> That's the illustration the psalmist gives the pilgrim. He sees homes and many of them had things that they would grow on top. It would have been flat. It would have been a wonderful location for maybe growing things occasionally. But over time, the sun would continually beat on whatever tried to grow up in that arid, flat rooftop. And it would not last. For one, it didn't have the deep roots like the ground. It was on top of a house. It could not sink its roots deep enough in to sustain itself. And because of its shallowness, because it had no life truly in the one who is life, the sun beat down on it and it dried out and it withered. This is 
for all those who hate Zion, who despise God. They are like grass on the housetops, which withers when it grows up, and which the reaper receives no benefit, and the binder of sheaves has no sheaves to bring home for sustenance and food. And this was something that would happen if you look back in the story of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, you would pass the harvester and you would say, may the Lord bless you. May he bless your harvest. May he bless your growth and your produce and what you will receive. And yet here the psalmist says, nor do those who pass by say those words. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. The one who has not turned to Christ, there is shame. There is a routing, a defeat. The efforts of the one who doesn't follow after the Lord, they come to fruitlessness. They're turned backwards. The grass is withered and the blessings are not there. And I think the psalmist is saying all of this to remind himself, Lord, you know our afflictions, you know our situation, and you are the righteous one, the just one. You will deliver us. Help my heart also to know that you will take care of the enemy. You will take care of injustice. You will take care of those who take advantage of the weak and the powerless. You will speak for them. You are with them. Because in the end of the day, there will be shame, there will be a turning backwards, there will be fruitlessness, there will be no blessings for those who have not come to Christ, who have not bowed the knee and said, He is Lord and I am not. I pray this morning that that would be where your heart is at. You see the Lord as your deliverer. You wait upon the Lord, maybe in trial or in affliction. You cry out to the Lord. He hears you. He is righteous. He is the one who cuts asunder the cords of those who would afflict. This is our God. And he will deal justly with his enemy and with all unrighteousness. It will be judged one day. I pray that you are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ this morning. And if not, use this time even now to call out to the Lord, to cry out and say, Father, I need a Savior. So as we close in prayer, remember our God who delivers us out of all our afflictions. Cry out to Him if you have not turned to Him yet. Let's pray. Father, our enemy, the one who does battle, with Jesus Christ. Satan himself is 
continually at war. But he is not going to win. As this psalmist said, these afflictions, these schemes to try to destroy God's people, these schemes will not prevail. They will not win. The Lord has won the battle. The Lord is greater and mightier than everything else. And He is the righteous one. He has sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to take care of judgment and the wrath of God on our behalf. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who has not come to Jesus Christ, turn to Him for rescuing Turn to him to be delivered, not just from a physical affliction. Lord, we don't know your plans when we receive afflictions, but to be delivered spiritually from the captivity of sin and the darkness of sin and the judgment to come. If there is someone who is not called out to you to be delivered from those things, oh Father, may they do that this morning. May they come forward and talk with me or one of our leaders or even anyone in this church. Maybe a family member they've come with or a friend. May they cry out to you for deliverance. And you, O oh Lord, the righteous one, will deliver them. You will rescue them. And Lord, may we rest assured that vengeance is yours. As scripture says, that you are the final judge. We leave our enemies. We leave the enemies of Jesus Christ and the enemies of you and the ones that might come against us to do harm against your gospel. We leave all of that in your hands. For you, O oh Lord, are the righteous judge. You, O oh Lord, will make all things right in the end. Give us hearts of patience, hearts that are willing to wait upon you, and hearts that are crying out to you in affliction, knowing that you will be the one who comes to our aid. You are the one who delivers. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.